Hey, good morning. If you have your Bibles, we'd like for you to open, open them to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I did not do my homework. I did not look to see where it is in the Pew Bible. So if anyone knows exactly what number that is, shout it out. Does anybody here know where the book of Luke is? It is... It's like one of those Gospels, and it's not the first one, that's Matthew, not the second, that's Mark, it's the third one, and it's Luke, and it's chapter two. Anybody know what page that is? 857. 857. Yes, we've got a winner over there. And uh, Mr. Burgess, you can claim your prize later on there. All right, page 857 if you've got a pew Bible. Uh, and t- today, uh, as we start moving towards that Christmas day, uh, for me, uh, this will be the uh, first time in 94 years that, um, not my 94 years, I guess, but uh, 66 of mine, that uh, I will not uh, either see my mom's face or hear her voice at Christmas. My mom lived to be 94 years old. She passed away this summer. And uh, so this would be the first Christmas where there's not some kind of interaction with her. But as I look back, I'm very thankful for what she and my dad did to make Christmas really special for my sister and for myself. And she developed an unwritten tradition that started when I was a young child that carried all the way until at least 15 years into my marriage. It's a ton of years. And that is, every Christmas, she would give me T-shirts and underwear. T-shirts and underwear. As a child, when I made out my Christmas wish list, I would write down things such as G.I. Joe, electric football set, a basketball. Never on the list was there ever T-shirts and underwear. But yet every Christmas, when we would come and sit around the tree and you'd pick up different packages and I'd pick this package up and I'd shake it and I'd wonder what it was and gleefully I would tear into it. And then that anticlimactic moment happened when I realized it was t-shirts and underwear. There's nothing of a greater downer for a child than to get t-shirts and underwear at Christmas. But what I discovered Discovered is that it really wasn't anything that I wanted, but it was something that I needed. And so instead of the gift that I had been hoping for, the t-shirts and underwood, underwear became something that is something that I really needed. And when you began to think about it, it is the same way of the very first Christmas. In that very first Christmas, Jesus is the gift that everyone needs, but he wasn't the gift that everyone wanted. This kind of sets the tone for the entire message. Jesus is the gift that everyone needs, but he wasn't the gift that everyone wanted. If you go back 2,000 years ago to see what uh, what the world was going through at that time, there was this anticipation that some ruler was going to rise up among the nation of Israel to keep them to where they could have victory over the Roman Empire. At this particular time, they were under the boot of the Romans, and they kept thinking that some Messiah was coming. 
and the Messiah had been promised and that it was going to be some warrior king, some political activist, someone that would come and would keep all the traditions of the Sabbath, someone that would come, would meet every one of their personal needs, and they would get freedom from the Romans. And that is what they were looking for. And instead of the gift that they wanted, they got a gift that they needed. And it's found in Luke chapter 2. And if you have your Bibles open, Luke chapter 2, starting in the 8th verse, it says this. And in, the same, <clears throat> and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. Now look at that word, all the people. Some people wanted a warrior king. Some wanted a needs meeting king. Hey, he said, this is for all people. And he says, what is this? It says, born to you in the city of David, a savior. That word savior, it means a deliverer. A savior who is Christ, who is Christ. Christ, Messiah, the anointed one, the Lord. It is the savior, it is Christ, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. They're saying that this baby who's in the manger was God himself. He was the deliverer. He was the chosen one. He was the anointed one. And you're going to find him in a manger there in a stable. The angel said this was good news of great joy for all men. So if this is good news for all people, it would mean that this child that was born had a specific purpose in life because it is good news for everyone. Well, earlier, God had spoken, an angel had spoken to Joseph, who was to be the earthly father of Jesus. And before he was born, this is what he said to Joseph. He says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. This is the purpose of this child. And so to save the people from their sins. And because of our sins, we are disconnected from God. And because we are disconnected from God, then there are all these problems that arise, both in, in just in our culture and our civilization, but also on a personal level. And because of our sin, it causes worry, fear, anxiety, depression, conflict, discouragement, and emptiness. And our sinfulness is what causes us to act in ways that create guilt and shame, resentment, and regret. You were not created to be disconnected from God. So when you are disconnected from God, there is this emptiness that you feel, and it is the sins that are causing that disconnect. And every one of us deals with this. And God, in his love, says, I'm going to send my son, and he's going to come to earth with a purpose, and that is to save his people from their sins. And if you are disconnected from God because of your sins, you are dying on the inside. And unless you do something about it, when you physically die, you will spend eternity separated from God's love and for his goodness. You and I 
need to be saved from the power and the penalty of our sins. And Jesus came to be our Savior, the Savior of the world. He came to bridge the gap between us and God. He came to pay the price for our sins, to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we could come into a right relationship with God. This is Christmas morning. This is the birth of a Savior. This is the child who came into this world with a particular purpose. 2,000 years ago, the people wanted a warrior. They wanted an activist king, but that's not what they needed. You see, they had a sin problem, and they needed a Savior. And on what we call Christmas morning, they did not get what they wanted, but they got what they needed. And guess what? We also got what we needed on that Christmas morning. We got one who was going to come and be the Savior and was going to pay the penalty for our sins. There's an encounter in one of the Gospels. It's in the Gospel of Mark. And it says early in Jesus' ministry, as he was traveling to a city called Capernaum, when he got there, he began to teach in a house. And so people came from all over, and they just filled this house to listen to him teach. In that town, there was a paralytic one who had been crippled, and he had four friends, and they heard about Jesus, and they heard that he had done miracles of healing. They approached this paralytic, and they said, hey, how would you like to go hear Jesus? We believe if we could get you to Jesus, that he could heal you. And he said, man, I'm all over it. So these four men grab this paralytic, and they carry him, and they go down the street, and all of a sudden, they come to the house, and it's just jammed. I mean, there are people outside looking in the windows. There's no way you can get in. Well, then they got resourceful because during that day, there were ladders that could take you up to the roof of the house. And so they said, let's go to the top. So they carry this man up, they get to the top, and they begin to pull apart the roof. Now, they're tearing apart the roof. Jesus is standing there teaching right there, and all of a sudden, you begin to kind of feel some stuff falling on his shoulders, and he's looking around, and there's this hole in the roof. And these four friends lower this friend, this paralytic, right down to Jesus, right in the midst of his teaching. And so they're lowering him because they said, the one thing that we want is for him to be healed. If Jesus would speak the word or if Jesus would touch his body, he could heal this man. And as soon as he comes down, Jesus looks at this man, and the very first thing he says to him, my son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. All the failures, all the times that you've come up short, spiritually and morally, they're all forgiven. All your sins are forgiven. Ask God to be straight with you. This isn't really what he wanted. I mean, he, he didn't come to get his sins forgiven. He came to get his legs healed. And so as he comes before Jesus, this is almost like your first response is like, are you serious? What I really wanted was to get my legs healed. But then if we go a little bit deeper, what good would it be to have physical healing and yet still be lost in your sins and be separated from God for eternity? It was not what he wanted, but it is what he needed. And that's where your second point comes. And that is that Jesus meets a deeper need that is greater than our wants, and that is forgiveness of sins. Jesus meets a deeper need than, that is greater than our wants, and that is a forgiveness of sins. You see, the distinctiveness of Christianity is that it proclaims the forgiveness of sins, 
And uh, Christianity, when someone says, hey, tell me about Christianity, some of the first things that we think about are the virtues, and we showcase these during December. We got love, we have kindness, we have generosity, we have mercy. These are great things. And when you, you think about what is taught in the Bible, said this is what Christianity is. But no, let me tell you, those are wonderful, and those are virtues. But the value of Christianity is that it teaches how we can receive forgiveness for our sins. And uh, this is what sets us apart. And he sent his son Jesus to be the one, to be the provision for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you were talking about um, Christianity, uh, and uh, you said if you could just sort of bookend it, how would you best describe Christianity? You could best describe it in three days, three events that took place. And we know them as Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter. Christmas, the birth of Jesus. Good Friday, when he was crucified. Easter, when he was raised from the dead. This is Christmas. Now, with Christmas, there are three images. So if you think about it, not with Christianity, there are three images. So if you began to think about images, uh, and I said, okay, Christmas, and from a Christian standpoint, give me one major image for Christmas, what would you say? That image would be what? Manger. And thank you for not saying Christmas tree. Uh, a manger. You do not know how nervous I was as I practiced this over here. All right, manger. Thank you for those two that I gave $5 to. Uh, manger. Yeah, we think of manger. We think of nativity scene, right? You got a manger. You come to Good Friday. What do you think about at Good Friday? The cross. When you come to Easter, what do you think about? Empty tomb. So what have you got? You've got a manger, you've got a cross, you've got an empty tomb. Now in today's culture, if you try to put a nativity or a manger scene in a government uh, property or a public property, people get upset. And we began to get a bunch of conflict and there's a lot of pushback and there's a lot of nervousness on that. Listen, if you didn't have the cross and the empty tomb, there's really no fear of a manger. Because really what a manger would be is it was a great story about a, a child that was born to a, a good teacher, and so we're okay if there is no cross or no empty tomb. And then to put the cross somewhere in public, it causes a lot of controversy. Well, if you didn't have an empty tomb, you really wouldn't have any controversy with a cross. Because all it would mean is that some teacher was uh, probably unfairly killed and, and people crucified him and, and that's sad. And he would just be a martyr and a good teacher if you don't have the empty tomb. But the reason that you have pushback on a manger and the reason you have a pushback on a cross is because they all three go together and you have the empty tomb. Because if I've got the manger and it truly is God's son, and he truly was a virgin birth, and it was a birth that was born in Bethlehem, which was predicted hundreds of years earlier in an Old Testament book. And you say, well, that truly was God's son. And then he went to a cross, and he died for our sins, and he paid the penalty for our sins. And then three days later, he was raised from the dead, which means that he conquered sin and he conquered death. You put all those three together then what you're saying is, is when I put a manger here, I'm saying this is the Son of God, and this is the provision for our sins, and there is no other way to God. 
And when you put a cross, you put a cross up because you see the manger, yes, it was a virgin birth. It was, it was God stepping down to earth, 100% man, 100% God, who went to a cross and died for our sins. And did he stay dead? No. God honored that sacrifice and three days later, raised him from the dead, and uh, he confirmed that the sacrifice was, was accepted and that he has power over death and power over sin. And so when you put all these three together, it says a strong message that sin is serious, serious enough for where Jesus died. Now, many of us would say, well, well then why doesn't everybody just accept this? Why don't we all just say, hey, this makes good sense. Let's just accept this. The reason that many do not is because we love our sin so much. And if we understood the seriousness of sin, and it was so serious that God sent his own son to die for it, then that would mean I would have to take it seriously, which means I would have to make some changes in my own life. And oftentimes we don't want to do that. And so it's better to push back against it. Because if you do accept the manger, you do accept the cross, and you do accept the empty tomb, you have to accept the message with it, and that is God's Son died on the cross for our sins, raised from the dead, conquering sin and death. He is the only way to salvation, to spend eternity with God. So whoever you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how heinous the sin is, God can save you completely and eternally. And because of that power, he can, has the power to break that habit, to break that addiction, to take away that bitterness, to take away that anger, to take away that hopelessness. And he can release you from all these things that have shackled you and have paralyzed you. He can give you hope, and he can give you what you need during this Christmas season. Because when people say, hey, what do you want for Christmas? Automatically, you think of, hey, I, I like this item or that item or this item. But if you're just real honest with yourself, what do you need this Christmas? God, it'd be great just to be able to not deal with this bitterness that I've had. It'd be great to be released from the shackles of this guilt that I have been carrying. It would be great just not to have to have this anger that's so built up in me. On there. These are the things that I need. And you know what? Christ has died on the cross, been risen from the dead to give you a break from those, to give you victory over those things. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, Apostle Paul says it this way You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He forgave all your sins. And it has to come to a point to where we are willing to admit the seriousness of our sins. And then we say, you know what? I want to follow you. I'm going to do my best to stop sinning. Will you? No, we're imperfect. But I tell you what, I will follow Christ and I will set my sights and set my sail towards following the direction that he wants me to follow. And I will try to live a life that is pleasing to him. And guess what? When you receive Christ as your Savior, he brings his spirit called the Holy Spirit in your life. And he gives you guidance and direction and helps you to live a life that would be purposeful and fulfilling and be obedient to God's words. 
And it's just, it's just, Christmas is a time when we need to open our eyes to this. Because when we don't open our eyes to our sinful nature, we just focus on the Christmas decorations and we let the Christmas spirit of being nice to others and extending generosity, and all of those are good. But that's what most of our emphasis is on. And we don't face the fact that we have a sin problem. We need a Savior to save us from our sins. And on Christmas morning, God provided exactly what you needed. But the last thing is this, is that when God gives you what you need, he will change what you want. When God gives you what you need, he will change what you want. In that uh, account of the four friends and the paralytic, when they dropped him down and Jesus looked at him, he says, uh, my son, your sins are forgiven. After there were some people sitting around there, they questioned that. And they said, how can you do that? How can you say that his sins are forgiven? And then he comes back and he says, okay, you're healed. And all of a sudden, right there, physically, he healed this man. And when he healed this man, this man was all of a sudden for the first time, and who knows however, has begun to walk. And as he's walking, he leaves that room with strong legs and spiritual eyes. And his whole life has changed. And what has happened is he came and he had one thing he wanted. And what Jesus did was he said, let me take care of the one thing you need. And then I'll take care of that thing that you want. And his whole life has changed. And what appeared to be hopeless is now filled with hope. He is clean. He is restored. And he's ready to walk and follow a life with Christ. Psalm 37, 4 says it like this. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When God gives you what you need, you begin to delight yourself in the Lord. He then changes your wants and he supplies your wants. Does that make sense? Because once my need is taken care of and to where I'm no longer alienated from God, but I'm in a right relationship with him, then when I have got that need taken care of, then there's a desire within me to live for him and all of a sudden my wants change. It's interesting. It's interesting to talk to people who when they make decisions for Christ, that uh, they, they say, you know, before I accepted Christ, these are the things that I really wanted to do. This is where I thought I was supposed to do in life. But now that Christ is in my life, all of a sudden life is looked at totally differently. And since I look at it differently, now I've got different desires, different wants, and God is honoring and he's helping meet those, both those needs and also those wants. When God gives you what you need, he will change what you want. T-shirts and underwear. Every year, it wasn't what I wanted, but it's what I needed. And there were times when the laundry was piling up and I was getting ready to go to school and I rushed in there and I opened up the drawers. And when I opened up the drawers looking for T-shirts and underwear, the only thing that was in those drawers were those new T-shirts and those new underwear. And when I saw those, hey, you know what? It was everything I needed and it was everything I wanted. And I was so thankful that my mom every year would provide T-shirts and underwear, things that I need, and it turned out to be something that I wanted. First Christmas, everybody was looking for a warrior king. And yet what God did was he gave them a baby who would be a suffering servant. T-shirts and underwear. That's what they thought. But as they listened to his teachings, 
They observed his miracles. They watched him die sacrificial death and then arise from the dead. They knew more than anything that this is just not what they needed. This is what they wanted. T-shirts and underwear. God doesn't always give us what we want, but he does always give us what we need. So our challenge, trust him with your life. Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins and accept his son as your savior and your Lord. And this Christmas, if you do that, you will get not only what you need, but you'll also get truly what you want. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful that on Christmas Day, that the plan that you had started from the beginning of time came to fruition in sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And I pray for each one of us, Lord. It's so easy to come to church and to sit here and to have about 8,000 things going through our head on Christmas preparations and family coming in and gifts that we have to get and all the to-do list. But it's my prayer that during these moments we've had together that your Holy Spirit has been able to cut through all the trappings of Christmas and zero in on the main reason for Christmas and help us to understand truly what our need is. And we have a need for a Savior. And thank you for providing that in your Son. And it's my prayer that each one of us today will make a commitment to you. For some, there's some here, Lord, who've never asked you to come into their life, who have never seen you as more than just a baby in a manger. But today, they would honor you as the Savior of the world, and they can ask you to come into their life and be the Savior of their own personal life. And Lord, for many of us, we've made that decision. But may this Christmas season be a time where we also focus in on not so much the things we want, but what our needs are. And our needs in relation to walking with you and walking with others. And how we need to be stronger in our walk with you. And we need to be more open and honest in our walking with others. And through that, we would come through a Christmas that would be set apart from all other Christmases because of that closer walk with you. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.